You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus welcome to deep dive broadway i'm dory berenstein and today and always we celebrate pride our guests are the creators of the pride plays producers doug nevin and michael yuri and festival director Nick Mayo. Now in its second year, the Pride Plays, in association this year with Playbill and Rattlestick Playwrights Theatre, are once again celebrating queer-themed works from renowned artists such as Lisa Crone and the Five Lesbian Brothers and Mark Crowley, alongside brand new voices, with a spectacular lineup of theatrical events, readings, and workshops. Due to COVID-19, their festival takes place entirely online this year. Let's dive in. Welcome, Doug, Michael, Nick. Let's start at day one. How did Pride Plays begin? Well, last year, um, as World Pride uh, was approaching, uh, Doug and I were approached by Daniela Topol at the Rattlestick Theater. And Daniela wanted to do some kind of programming for uh, Pride to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Stonewall and World Pride. And she knew that Doug and I had been in talks about how to help um, queer theater um, find um, more outlets. Um, obviously, there's no shortage of queer theater in the theater, but uh, we felt like so often um, the various voices within the community would get lumped together. And we were looking for a way to uh, find a platform for them all to live um, sort of side by side rather than um, as, as, as in the same pile of scripts. And so I think because she knew Doug and I had been talking about that, she reached out about programming something for, uh, for world pride and the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. And we had a couple of um, stupid ideas right off the bat. Uh, and as we continued to like, think about looking back um, it made more and more sense to look forward and our workload or our ideas became much, much bigger than either Doug or I could facilitate or execute. Um, and then my old friend, Nick Mayo from college came back into my life and had recently, um, spent a few years working in fact, on festivals and um, producing events and putting together large, uh, large groups of people um, in quick 
in, 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 in short periods of time. And suddenly here was this person who I knew from, from not only Juilliard, but Broadway, who had all the, uh, the same um, knowledge about queer theater that I had and that Doug had, but he also had all of this extra knowledge about um, making stuff happen in a festival setting. And so we suddenly saw a way out of our deep hole of imagination. <laughs> um, and, uh, and that's how we were able to do last year, 19 play readings in five days. Um, instead of what Doug and I probably would have ended up with, which is like a few readings with, you know, like, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, a couple of bottles of wine and a wish. Um, <laughs> we we yeah. were able to use the rattlestick uh, for for these five days and have nearly 250 artists come through um, and do 19 plays. It's extraordinary. Yeah, it's just uh, so unbelievably uh, ambitious, <laughs> but you pulled it off beautifully. Doug, Thank you. you were about to say something. Thank you. No, I, so I was going to say, uh, just to supplement what Michael said, um, the you know, we had sort of been tr- wanting to tackle the twin notions that um, LGBT artists, writers, directors, actors often would get lumped into one pile and we wanted to be able to provide more opportunities for a sort of array of um, existing and emerging voices. Um, but we also did want to, particularly for World Pride and Stonewall 50, be able to look back a bit at the the sort of ways in which the theater had fed the movement um, and also the ways in which the movement had fed theater. And I do remember one specific moment where Michael and I decided we were going to do four play readings and then four like one week workshops of plays over the course of the week, uh, over the course of the month. And I remember specifically walking with Daniela Topol in the village and she looked at me and said, well, you can do that. But I strongly suggest that you, you know, that you do a, a shorter festival and do as many readings as possible within that time, but sort of be consistent about um, what you are asking of audiences and artists, because it will make it a lot easier to, um, you know, to sort of to gather a larger community of people. And that was a really cool idea, uh, which also I think uh, caused Michael and I to panic. Um, which is then when Nick very thankfully walked into back into Michael's life uh, and into my life. Well done, Nick, you know, and what a perfect timing. I, what I love so much is that you celebrate existing voices. And I know you have four incredible uh, readings, live readings that I'm eager for you to talk about that will be happening every Friday night. And you have, um, workshops that are happening this year. And I know you did it last year as well. And I believe this yep. year it's with 11 new playwrights, which is so exciting. So Michael, you, um, or I should say, Nick, you stepped in and you gave this some structure. You figured out how to implement it. I mean, with everything that was going on with uh, World Pride last year, it was such an exciting time. You also managed to uh, be make pride plays such an important part of last year, you know, and it's just, you didn't have that much ramp up time to do that. I'm just, uh, was amazed at how quickly you were able to pull everything together. How did you do it? You know, it's Doug and Michael are incredibly generous to say uh, what they're saying, but all we really did was gave a platform for the community to come together. We 
opened the stage and swept the stage and make sure that the bathrooms were working and that everyone had scripts and pencils. And the magic really did come from the community coming together. It didn't have, you know, we were facilitators. So truly the spark uh, came from everyone else and just the gathering of those amazing spirit and telling of those stories. So short answer is we just set the stage and they did all the magic. But I think you also pulled together a group of people around you, um, advisors, uh, mm-hmm. people who were vetting the plays, people who were supporting the artists. Could you talk a little bit about that? Because I think the the group of people that came together around Pride Plays last year and that you know and this year are extraordinary and are helping you process all the submissions and to to help focus you know what you ultimately present during Pride Month. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think that. Last year, when we were when we were putting together the festival, um, initially, when Michael and I first started talking with Daniela about what this could be, we had some informal discussions, um, and we had one particular discussion with Lisa Crone, who is easily, you know, maybe the smartest, certainly one of the smartest people I've ever spoken to, and it really kind of blew our world open as to what the possibilities of the festival could be, but also of sort of what what some blind spots were, uh, particularly that if you are going to look backwards um, at the LGBT theater canon, which I do think is very important, the reality is that's going to look overwhelmingly um, like, you know, uh, upwardly mobile and white and male, because those are the plays very often that were produced um, and certainly the ones that were produced commercially. And so in order to you know, really explore the movement up to this point, we had to think about um, artists and writers and performers that weren't necessary, that hadn't necessarily uh, been viewed as, as mainstream as, as we would like them to be. And so we realized that we knew what we knew, but there was so very much we didn't know. And so we put together an advisory committee um, for last year's festival that included um, people like Che Yu and uh, Lucy Thurber and Sam Hunter and Ted Snowden, and uh, all of whom came from di- you know, different areas of, of the theater world, um, and really helped us focus on what kind of plays uh, we should be looking at, what kind of new writers we should be thinking about, directors that we that we might want to work with, uh, performers we might want to work with. And I think that was a big part of us ensuring that across those 19 plays and 200 plus artists, that we were building as big a tent um, as possible. And we're proud to say that the advisory committee has grown from year one to year two. Um, we have a wonderful group of people, um, including I think now MJ Kaufman and um, Malik Pinchali and Daryl Roth. Um, it's obviously not an exhaustive list. Um, all of whom we can rely on for different things as we uh, continue to grow and shape you know, our programming and the various Pride Plays initiatives. And I also think that you focused right early on on um, plays that were about pride and not necessarily, you know, looking at, you know, the, the, the trauma and the, the 
the pain, um, which is certainly there, but that this, yep. um, the plays that I saw and, and uh, were so uplifting and uh, positive. Do you want to talk about that for a sec? Yeah, we definitely, yes. um, we, we, we definitely um, started, the mission last year was, was pride. We would always, anytime we talk about a play, we would say, is it prideful? And, the, the, and this in part came out of our conversation with Lisa Crone too, because if you look back at the things that so many of the, the stories that were told about queer people um, were about the punishment of being gay. What happens if you're gay, that you'll end up alone, that you'll end up dead, that you'll end up in the sanitarium or on drugs or, or whatever. Um, and, and, and of course, like, there, 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 there are stories that are true about that, that happened that way. And that, that is a part of our history um, that like for so many people being gay was going to be a, a hardship. Um, but we wanted to enlighten people to the stories of, uh, of, of, of the success stories of queer people to the, 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 the place that had a happy ending or at least had um, a positive outlook. Um, so last year, it was always, is it prideful? Is it prideful? You know, we, we learned, we, we realized very quickly, like, we could do the children's hour, but it's not written by a queer person. It wasn't written about queer people. And in it, the queer people are punished. So we, we, as, as good a play as that is, and as much of a classic as that is, it made a lot more sense for us to instead tackle Brave Smiles, another lesbian tragedy by the five lesbian brothers, which is in some ways a satire of the children's hour and the killing of sister George. And, um, and, and, and it was a huge hit for us last year at the festival. And that's part of the reason why we're bringing it back this year for the primetime plays. Um, and we're reuniting the five lesbian brothers who haven't acted together in a long time, which is very, very cool. Um, this year. So, so that was at the forefront of our mind. We were also celebrating global pride, celebrating the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. We didn't want to tell a bunch of sad stories. We wanted to tell about, how far we've come and, and, and how well things are going. Um, and, 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 and so this year we, we have, we, we, we're still, we still always ask the question, is it prideful? But we're also, um, we, we're also looking into more um, socioeconomic uh, disparities. We're looking into um, cultural disparities. Uh, we, we were not so um, locked into the idea that it had to have a happy ending. Um, and we wanted to look at the next step. So instead of the, the play about a trans person who comes home uh, and is shunned by their family, we wanted to tell the story of a trans person who comes home and it's complicated and challenging, but they find their way through it. Um, so that those are the stories that we're putting out there and that people who need art, who, who look to art for guidance would see what, what we think of as positive uh, examples of, of, of how to how to hold each other close and, and, and work through things. Problems that these characters have aren't that they're queer. That play, that's Masculinity Max, right? With, um, by M.J. Kaufman. Um, the, um, I was actually referring to another play, Crooked Parts, but yes, Masculinity Max is also about, uh, about a trans man coming home and, 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 and being re-enveloped and, 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 and it is similar themes. You're right. Um, MJ Kaufman's play has similar themes to that. Uh, and, and then goes to other places that I don't want to spoil, um, <laughs> and deals with it with humor and love and, and, uh, uh, 
Lindsay? I think that what was interesting about last year was we were really looking to celebrate the community um, and every aspect of the community. And I think this year, something that we're looking at, particularly given the times we find ourselves in, is what is each of our uh, individual obligations to the community? And what is a community's obligations to one another? It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The perfect segue to let's talk about the four plays that you are presenting this year. And obviously there are some, (laughs) this isn't exactly how you expected to be presenting them. Uh, But perhaps there are opportunities buried in this, (laughs) the the way that this is happening. Um, So could you, could you guys talk both about uh, figuring out how to, how to uh, present pride plays during uh, a pandemic uh, in quarantine. And can you also talk about, um, the four plays for starters? And then I'd love to get to the, uh, uh, emerging artist work. Well, I'll say, um, that you're right. It is a challenge, but it's also an opportunity. We really do get the opportunity to engage with people who are in Los Angeles or in Oregon or in Canada or all over the country, all over the world can now play a part in this uh, festival. Whereas, you know, our little home at the Rattlestick has 90 seats. So in a lot of ways, we've just broken down fences and opened it up. That's a little bit of the Pollyanna version of it. The other version of it is it's very challenging to connect with each other during this time um, because we're oversaturated and and connecting with each other so much. But I will tell you whether it's in a Zoom open house that we had the other night for playwrights and directors to meet each other or in one-on-one stage manager calls that I have via zoom. Everyone is so excited to connect with each other from this platform of pride. And we hope that we can find in each other that strength that we've always had. Queer people are always um, looked at for symbols of resilience. We're a resilience culture and we're doing a version of that right now through this festival. So we're so excited to start off next Friday with Donye R. Love's critically acclaimed production of One and Two, starring the original cast from the new group. Um, So that's a really beautiful way to start off this particular Pride. Um, We're we're happy that uh, viewers will have the opportunity to see that play and it'll reach a larger audience. Um, it's a three-person cast. I don't want to talk too much about it, but you can be prepared to learn something about our community. The second play is um, Masculinity Max, as we just mentioned, by MJ Kaufman, directed by Will Davis. Uh, we're very excited about 
presenting Masculinity Max. The third play, which was a little bit of a readjustment, um, we had intended to pre- uh, to present Brave Smiles, another lesbian tragedy, but we're very happy to present it on June 22nd. So that'll be the entire five lesbian brothers coming back together for this fantastic, hysterical uh, piece directed by Lee Silverman. So we're very happy about that. And then it'll culminate on the last Sunday in June, which, as we know, is... Oh, I just made that up. I, I missed a step. The last Friday in June is Men from the Boys, Mark Crowley's um, sort of uh, sequel to Boys in the Band. Let's see where these characters from Boys in the Band develop. That'll be directed by Zach Quinto. I'm so, so excited about all of the plays. I'm just so curious with the, uh, the Men from the Boys. Is this the world premiere? Has that ever been? Has it ever been produced before? Um, it has been produced before. It was produced, um, it was developed with and produced at the New Conservatory Theater in San Francisco back in, I believe, 2002. Um, I think this this may be the, you know, well, quote unquote, New York premiere. Um, and it's certainly the live stream premiere. <laughs> did, did Mark um, know that this was happening before... He passed away? So he did. He did. So actually, that's a great question. He did. Um, We had been talking about doing it as part of the, you know, as part of our festival, you know, at Rattlestick, based on the assumption that we were going to be able to do a physical festival this year. And actually, um, the prospect of Zach directing it had even been discussed with Mart. um, And he was very excited about that. So we're, we, we definitely feel that we're doing it, um, you know, in his honor and with his blessing. And and boys, boys in the band is so fresh in all of our minds, you know, with the play on Broadway. So I think it's such great timing, and you know, we're so vested in the story and these characters. So uh, I cannot wait uh, for that. Um, let's talk about the hundreds of artists that you have been working with around the world. Uh, emerging artists. How did you take that their work that that all these incredibly uh, exciting new voices? How did you narrow it down to the eleven that you're going to be doing? Um, you're going to be presenting workshops uh, with them, right? A lot, a lot of fighting. Um, <laughs> That's we, not uh, true. <laughs> we had a uh, we have a wonderful lit manager named George Struss who handled all of our submissions. So this year we opened submit. Last year we kind of curated it. We asked around, we, we, we lent, we leaned on our advisory committee this year. We're still, we still asked around and leaned on our advisory committee, but we also opened submissions up and got uh, like 200 submissions from all over the place. And George um, was in charge of getting through them, telling us which ones to read. We all, all three of us read lots of plays um, dozens, I mean, dozens of plays. He read, you know, millions. Um, we had a reading committee, which uh, included Ryan Spawn and Caroline Prue, who were playwrights that we, we did last year, um, but also Nick Corey and Denia Esperanza, um, who, who George would sort of like deputize to read and, and get back to us. And, and I think the way we, it, 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 it worked out, every play got read by two people, one way or another. And um, and then we whittled it down to a much bigger number than we have now. And then um, 
and then eventually got we got we got down to about eleven. And um, and when the pandemic hit, uh, and and we by the way we'd made all of our decisions and engaged all of our playwrights, and not just the new plays, but the old plays too, the recent plays or the canon plays that we were doing. We'd engaged everybody, and we were ready to announce when the pandemic hit. Um, so when we pivoted, um, we decided to let go of um, all of the existing plays, with the exception of Men from the Boys, um, and, and, and take all of our new plays online and offer them workshops um, and, and an opportunity to focus less on putting on a show and more about developing the work. And um, these 11 uh, opted to do it, and, um, and they run the gamut. I mean, it is uh, plays, and this, and this really, to, this is something I'm so proud of. It really speaks to the, 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 the concern that we had at the beginning of this whole thing, which was we don't want plays to be lumped together when they have, when the only thing they have in common is being queer. Um, for example, we're doing a play by uh, Carmen Lebu called Will You Hold My Hair Back, which is a um, multimedia farce about a lesbian wedding, um, a biracial lesbian wedding. And um, we're also doing a play by Omar Hantash called Roof, which is about a, a queer, a closeted queer man in Syria who's found out and dragged to a roof to be thrown off. And before he, before uh, that it happens, he gets a moment of reprieve to uh, beg for his life. And it's told through flashbacks of uh, love affairs and romances and, and how a queer man lives in Syria in the closet. So these two plays um, could not be more different from one another. Uh, and yet, and, 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 and yet they are about queer stories and we can tell them in concert. Which is which is very exciting. Um, we're also doing um, a play by a very young writer uh, named Haley St. James about um, about the, the queer experience uh, um, of someone who is on the autism spectrum. Uh, we're doing um, a play, a, a romantic comedy written by a trans man uh, called Modern Gentleman by Preston Allen. Um, and uh, we're doing uh, uh, we're doing Ryan Haddad's play. Who's Ryan Haddad? Who's a, a wonderful cabaret performer and writer and, and actor. Um, he's written a play about his gay uncle and and uh, and how he, he he and his gay uncle used to make their family produce shows in their backyard. And it's delightful and very meta. And um, and 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 a lot of these plays, you know, they're not written for Zoom, but some of them will actually work really well on Zoom. We're doing Rodney Hicks. Rodney Hicks, who you might remember from um, uh, the original company of Rent and Come From Away. So we've teamed him up with Michael Greif to do uh, Rodney's new play, Just Press Save, which Rodney is rewriting all the time as the world changes. Uh, and it's really exciting to see. It's a play about high school students. It's really fascinating to watch him evolve as the time changes so rapidly. And, and, and to hear Michael Greif talk about how great it is to rehearse on Zoom. You know, you think this is a, a man who's made his entire life in theaters and, and now he's been forced to work on Zoom and he's finding this silver lining. Pretty, It's, it's, it's pretty incredible. Well, you have, the, uh, what a lineup. I, I want to see every single one of those plays desperately. So I, I, I know this will be a really important step in their evolution. So 
I cannot wait. Thank you for doing this. Um, you've, Michael, have done, <laughs> you have been the busiest guy uh, make, being so creative during this time. What is it like uh, to perform when uh, when you did Byron Seller? It was so impactful, so, such a, a thrilling theatrical experience, but you were performing it without an audience. What What was that like? <laughs> very weird, very quiet. Um, it was a very quiet experience because the only person in the room was my partner, Ryan, who doesn't think I'm funny. Um, and uh, certainly, and, was, and wasn't allowed to laugh anyway. Um, so it was, it, I, I, I mean, I'm lucky. Like I have done that play 600 times in front of an audience, at least, and all over the place. And, and, sometimes, and, and so I've had audiences that I couldn't shut up and I've had audiences that I, I, I had to check their pulse. And so I knew where all the laughs were and where they might not be too. And so I think given that I was, it was a comedy, um, I was super armed with the knowledge of what people found amusing in the play. Cause I'd had so much trial and error, um, uh, that, that, uh, you know, I mean, basically that play, we, we put that together. We put that play together seven years ago by failing. Um, it was always trial and error. It was always, I could do it this way or what about this way? And then when we got in front of an audience, that's when we really learned what we had. Um, and, and it, and it grew and changed for years as I did it. And, um, at, which as all great plays do that, I mean, that's why actors love running plays for, for, you know, long periods of time, because you find so many things and they grow and they change. Um, and they're like, you know, they're all like onions and, and, and they have layers and layers and layers. So, so anyway, that's, that's just to say that like, I was super well equipped for, for the task at hand because I didn't, I could imagine the laughter and I, and I imagine, and then in terms of like holding for a laugh, um, I just would imagine one, two, three, maybe four people together watching on the screens and, you know, imagine what that laugh might be like. And, um, um, the hard part was figuring it out. And I was lucky, you know, Doug and Nick were, were both producers on that night. Um, Nick Corey, who had worked, who I'd worked with on doing a scaled down version of the original production that Stephen Brackett directed. He was with me um, from Indiana. Uh, Ryan was here, of course. Um, Paul Wontorek from Broadway.com. So like, so like we would have these rehearsals where I would stand in the room and try things out. And I would, and, and Doug and Nick and Nick and Paul would holler out ideas um, and Ryan would translate and we figured it out. You know, we found a language and it was a lot of, it took, everyone had to be really patient. Um, everyone had to be really creative and think outside the box. Uh, there were a few very, very scary moments along the way. Um, and then right before we started, Paul, I had Paul in my ear and he said, oh, there's a lot of people here. And, I, you know, he's looking at the, wait, the, the waiting room or whatever. He said, oh, there's a lot of people here. And I was like, that's all I need to know. As long as there's a few people, I can do it. You know, like, and that's, and I had no idea. I mean, I was imagining, you know, if there's, if there's 30 people, I'm good. <laughs> I had no idea we would end up with like 10,000 views, um, which is just household. More than um, that. Is it how much, how many views? In my heart, like a hundred thousand, like right? Million. Yeah, it was. It was close to a hundred thousand viewers once it was done. 
And and I think at the end at the end of it, I think that the the buzz and the word of mouth. There's so many people out there who were so upset they didn't get to see it. You know, yeah. it, it. Well, was I'm not doing it again. And also, <laughs> <laughs> being a fundraiser for Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS at that time, COVID nineteen emergency assistance fund to help members of the acting community through uh so that was also like the the other silver lining is that it was incredibly successful from a fundraising perspective um i was a nervous wreck i felt like i'm not a parent but i felt like i was watching someone like a, a dance recital i was terrified <laughs> i just yeah. didn't want i didn't want my michael to fall off the stage i didn't want the computers to turn off i didn't want uh you know mike's to go bad, poor Michael, the night before his ear pods were running out of juice. So I, you know, ran to disinfect my ear pods and ran them to him. We were all just <laughs> doing whatever we could to make sure we took as many variables out of the process. Yeah, but I will say there was something really extraordinary um, about watching it in real time because it was a shared experience that people had in their homes in a way that I think isn't very common anymore, you know, because most television isn't watched live anymore. Most, you know, people will watch something whenever they choose to watch it. And there was something really remarkable um, just, you know, following our social media, which, which I was sort of helping, you know, run throughout the evening to make sure we raised some good money and got the word out and just watching people respond on Twitter, or texting one another, you know, Instagramming, Facebook, um, and even the comments and the sort of likes and stuff that would, you know, that would pop up as you watch it. Um, and then again on the Facebook event the next day was truly extraordinary because how often do we have at home that collective experience anymore? It's very rare. And it was really, you know, the notion of sort of bringing that collective uh, theater experience where we all get to sit together and watch something at the same moment into homes was really, really extraordinary. Yeah, theater is just a very dangerous to begin with. You know, live theater is such a, <laughs> a scary, exciting, unpredictable kind of thing. But this adds a whole other layer of <laughs> drama behind the curtain, mm -hmm. so to speak, you know, that um, I, in a way makes it even more thrilling. Uh, but but you set a bar that's extremely high <laughs> for everyone else because it's so great. So with the workshops that you guys are doing, the 11 workshops, is are they being directed for live theater, even though it's being done on Zoom? They're, it's being directed anticipating a live audience. Yeah, the, 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 the idea behind the workshops is that we want the play, you know, we, we, we didn't want to, to present them for the masses because they weren't written for zoom they weren't meant for zoom they're meant to be on a stage and 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 to the extent that like they want the final presentation to be um enjoyable they they're they have license to do what they want you know in terms of like whatever tricks they want to come up with for for a zoom reading but the purpose our purpose is for them to spend time with actors and a director and the text uh, and, and hone the play and really like find the play so that eventually it can be um, produced on a stage. Now with the primetime shows, we, we are kind of putting on a show. We are trying to like, you know, use, you know, pull all the uh, bells and whistles and, 
and, and the things that we have learned um, doing Byron Seller and doing Zoom readings and, uh, you know, doing all these various things that, that we find ourselves doing during this time. We want, we want, we want people to, to tune in and have and, and enjoy themselves and, and, and experience theater in, in um, this way, which is obviously not the same as joining together uh, in, a, in a theater, but there are ways to make this feel like community to make it feel like we're, we're together, um, to make it feel like it's, it's dangerous, as you say, because, because that's, that's, you know, the, the, even though we're not, we're not worried about falling off a stage as Nick said, or like forgetting our lines because they're all readings. Uh, you know, there are a lot of very, um, very uh, mysterious variables that could, you know, I mean, someone's, one of the five lesbian brothers could lose their Wi-Fi, and and they'll have to figure out what to do. And they're fully equipped to do so. I mean, that's 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 actually I kind of hope that happens because they'll go crazy. Shush, Michael. Huh? No, we do not hope that. Hush, Michael. It's so exciting that um, the five lesbian brothers are. are coming together for this. And it's, it's so surprising that it hasn't happened before this time. So, you know, thank goodness for pride plays. Thank goodness for your, you know, uh, bringing um, such great art to the forefront. It has, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it has nothing to do with, you know, the, the, the subject matter. These are, uh, I mean, obviously that's hugely important, but they're, these are great plays and these are great artists with important stories to tell. And, um, and I and I'm excited that um, with how you have pivoted and <laughs> figured out how to do this remotely, that your audience um, can can just explode, which would be really exciting. And I think it's important to to I think it was said earlier, but just to I th- believe your Pride Play um, Friday nights are in support of Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. Yes, very yes. important. Yes, um, those Friday night present uh, presentation readings, as well as the Pride Play Spectacular on the last Sunday in June, will all go to benefit Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. And so it's every Friday night at seven PM, and Playbill dot com is your partner, right? Yes. And so that's where people go. Playbill dot com. Playbill dot com backslash. How do you say it, Michael? You're cooler than I am. I, I it might be forward slash. Forward slash uh, pride plays. Try both slashes, everyone, and you'll get there. <laughs> Splash around. <laughs> but it'll be, you know, it'll be on, it'll be easy. To, it should be easy to find on, on Playbill. And that's, um, it, it's every Friday. And then, uh, and then that Wiley Monday, the 22nd is, is when Brave Smiles is happening. Um, plus the musical spectacular, which I don't think we really mentioned, uh, but it's, it's, beca- it's coming, it's coming along. It's going to be a really, really exciting night. We have, some amazing people already uh, on board, like Michael R. Jackson and uh, John Cameron Mitchell, and um, uh, who else? Doug? MJ Rodriguez and uh, Michael Lieberman. Jen Colella. Jen Colella. Uh, yeah. Caitlin. A lot, a lot Caitlin. Of, oh my gosh! Um, a little show I like to call the Prom. Um, my favorite show ever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Caitlin is the. It's going to perform, which we're very, very excited about. Excellent. And that is going to be on what day? Sunday. Sunday Okay. Can't miss that. So 
every Friday night, everybody who's listening, you're busy. You have some place to go on your computer, very important, on the 22nd, Essential Viewing, and on the last Sunday in June. You can't miss this. Brave Smiles, Another Lesbian Tragedy, One in Two, Masculinity Max, and so exciting, Men from the Boys. And um, Doug and Nick and Michael, uh, what you guys have put together is magical and thrilling and um, just so grateful and can't wait. Thank you. Thank you for having us, Dory. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dory. Thanks, Dory. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening to Deep Dive Broadway, produced by Dory Berenstein, edited by Alan Seals, and special thanks to Bia and Brittany, who are fabulous. You can find me at bpn.fm slash Broadway. My Instagram is dory.berenstein, which is B-E-R-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. Please subscribe and leave lots of fabulous comments and check out my website at dramaticforces.com. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.